Hi, I'm George Gale, and this is Fundamentals of Organizing, where we're talking with organizers about the craft. Today, our guest is Soma Adias. I've always kept a short list of my favorite organizers. When I think about who's on that list, two traits come to mind. They are people of deep integrity. You can feel their authenticity in every encounter. They are also natural organizers. They could one day wake up in any community, regardless of racial makeup, language, or geography, and they would figure out how to organize the people with the least. They are just that good at the craft of organizing. Since I first witnessed her organizing in neighborhoods in Wichita or tiny Kansas towns like Liberal and Dodge City, Soma Adias has been one of those organizers for me. As if in a series of oil paintings about organizing, I remember Soma in a room with dozens of immigrant members of the National People's Action family. We were planning a big and risky action. While Soma could have easily been in the front of the room rallying the troops, she had prepared a member for that role. Instead, she's moving through the room, from table to table, huddled up with a handful of members at a time, a knee on the ground, listening, reflecting back, and sharing her take. Then off to another table, processing and bringing people along. The iterative work of developing leaders and building power. This is the exact kind of organizing that we need to model if we're in fact going to defeat fascism and build a multiracial democracy. So today I'm excited to sit down with the new executive director of People's Action, Soma Adias. Hey, Soma. Hey, George. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm even more curious about how you're doing. Yeah, it's been great. I love it. A lot a lot to discover. I feel the curiosity of a young organizer hmm. um, back, like that energy. I have so much to like, so many conversations, some, a lot of listening, but I'm having fun. Yeah, your curiosity doesn't surprise me knowing you. So <laughs> how did you first find organizing? And then what about it hooked you? Wow, we're gonna we're gonna go way back. <laughs> um, I mean, I go back to like I would say 1999. Back then, where like my ex husband and I were finishing up theology school. We were, you know, we had been grown up in the church. We're missionaries, and I think it was the fall of 99. A woman by the name of Laura Dungan knocked on my door because somebody has said, I know this woman who can interpret. Maybe she can help you. So she knocked on my door and she said. I need somebody to come door knock with me. I'm paying like, you know, in those days, like $10 an hour is a huge deal. Uh, we weren't at $15 an hour yet, but $10 an hour sounded good to me. And I was then a mother of three um, small young girls. I was homeschooling them. And, you know, if you can imagine, there were probably a baby on one side, somebody asking for more ice cream on the other side. And I was just mm -hmm. saying, I, I said, yes, take me out of this for two days a week. <laughs> um, and I went door knocking with her. I did not know back then that Laura, who is the founding director of Sunflower Community Action in Kansas, was looking for an organizer. But that mm -hmm. was my hook. Back then, there was an influx of Latinos uh, who were coming into the state. And, you know, she was going into this neighborhood. She was, they were looking for what are the needs of the community. And so that was the fall of 1999. By March of the following year, Sheltrop came to do a training. Sheltrop, the co-founder of National People's Action, who had a role in actually starting uh, Sunflower. And he was in my living room interviewing me because Laura had said, you know, I found this woman who is a natural on the doors. She loves uh, this work. I think she's the organizer we need. And then by June, I was the first organizer that was hired to work with the community. 
and the driver's license issue, 1999, oh, of course, was the issue that sort of launched me as, you know, to do the statewide work, although I organized on other issues first, housing, landlord issues, the stop signs, and the lead poisoning, which was a, a big issue that I still remember some of my leaders mm. in that issue. Wow. Wow. I did not know a lot of that. And what about it pulled you in? Why did you like it? Well, you know, there, there was something about the magic of the the way that Shell Trap actually asked a set of questions, right? When he came to my house, so he asked, you know, why do you want to do this? And and I think it was a you know process that maybe started a couple of years while I was in Bible school. And it was the fact that I had discovered liberation theology. And there was something about that that you know, started a set of questions in in my own life, what I was doing with church, which, which I loved, but feeling like that wasn't enough. Mm. So there had been a couple of years of this, something that was stirring up inside my heart and my life saying that, you know, there's got to be something more. We, we got to be doing something else to actually change the conditions of everyday people, because waiting until we get to some place in heaven is, is just not enough. Mm. And when I think Shell asked me that question, all of it came together. And the thing that I thought about when he asked the question is like, I don't want to, I don't want to be on the sidelines. I want to actually impact and work on things that impact people here while we're living here. And there was a hunger to do that. And I think the two things came together and organizing became a calling and a passion where I felt like I was actually, this is where, where I needed to be doing in terms of ministry. You and I are both trained by people who really believed in the fundamentals of organizing and so cared for the craft. Um, what were some of those early things that you learned from Laura Dungan or Shell Trap that stick with you now? I am not just a person who thinks that organizing is, is, is incredible and amazing. I just, to me, it really, I feel like it changed my life. And I feel like the things that especially like Shell, but Laura Dungan, who just still to this day, somebody that I talk to and go to is that when people or a person or a human being invest in you, they, they actually change your life forever. It's the craft of how they do it. There's a cycle of you investing in people, you going deep with people on like going from the issue that they are experiencing as a symptom to the root cause and meeting people where they're at and really investing and listening and then there's a time where you go on the offense to find the opportunity to either change on an issue or, or a campaign. And there's times when you have to, like she would say, go back to base form. And to me, it was always about the questions that you ask yourself and that you ask of your leaders. And to me it was when things get really hard, you go back to base form. You remember why you do this and what the purpose is and what your calling is. So it's always about that reflection and that cycle of doing and reflecting and perfecting. Can you say more about what base form means to you? You know, so Laura Dungan was also a person who practiced martial arts. She was a black belt. And so it meant different things to me, but in martial arts, what she was teaching me is that in organizing, we invest in people, we work on issues, and we're trying to win things that better the material lives of people. 
And so there's a period when you're fishing for an issue, you're moving towards, there's an opportunity, whether you're moving a group of people to an action, to a campaign, and then you use the power, you move it. So it's like throwing that punch where you're on the attack, you're on the offense, and then you retract and you go back to like that balance in your body in, in martial arts, where you just, you're trying to cement yourself. You're trying to regain your posture to make sure that you're ready for the next punch. And so that's what it meant to her. But to me, it means so much about going back to the people, going back to why you're doing this and not losing the side of why we do this. And it's ultimately is about building the power of people. Mm, yes. I have so many memories of you in organizing that we did, especially in some of the early days, like pre-September 11th and post-September 11th around issues of immigrant rights, where you would be sitting with members, working with them very much in the iterative process of kind of bringing people along and developing people. But one of the things I always noticed was that you listened as much or more than you talked, which cannot be said for every organizer. And in that, I always saw just so much respect for the people we're building power with. And I just wonder if you have any sense of like where that comes so natural and is so deep for you, where that comes from and why it's so important to you. You know, and it's, and it's been a process from the beginning. I remember like my first public meeting, Laura said to me, you are not the person to be in front of the camera. Right. And then for a long time after I would question myself, why didn't he teach me how to be in public? That would have been so much easier. She needed to shape me. <laughs> At the end of the day, what I've realized 22 years later and, and this trajectory, I'm an immigrant woman. I've been undocumented. I've, I've been in all the stages, but to have in mind that it's really not about me shapes you in a way that you're constantly driving yourself to develop people and find people. Because at the end of the day, the people closest to the problem are the people who have the solution. And so you can go from being somebody who's directly affected to like, I am not anymore. I'm now a citizen. Mm. But I've had the understanding and the discipline that to me is constantly about developing people and thinking constantly about bringing in new people and helping to shape them to discover what I discovered. It reminds me of a conversation we had when you talk about like constantly bringing in new people that that's a, like that's a thing churches need to do. Um, and I'm wondering what in your, you know, kind of life of building churches, you know, before you found Sunflower Community Action and community organizing, you learned that that impacts how you organize today. I grew up, you know, from the time that I was 14 in a Pentecostal church. So I think early in my life, it was all about the discovery of this doctrine and this thing that I had come into. And then very early on, you know, I got married when I was 19 and it was like back then it was all about evangelizing, bringing in new people. And, you know, I was part of like doing tent revivals in the, you know, the corner of a very like crowded area in the city just to bring in new people. So every day, all I thought about all the time was about, okay, who are we going to talk to today? And who are we bringing to church? So I was all about bringing new people. And so when I came into organizing, it aligned and it was natural and it was the same concept. And it's not just bringing new people in a way that is superficial. Mm -hmm. It's a bringing new people in a way that they are being changed. That this thing that I found that changed my life, 
I want you to find it and I want you to experience it. And you can talk to, you know, a hundred people uh, and not everybody's going to get it, but you know that 10 people are going to get it. And so I, I approached life that way. You know, even when I did sales for, for a few mm-hmm. years, like it was all about the people that you talk to, you're going to find people that, that you, but you got to be excited about that and you got to see it as an opportunity. And that's what you get up every morning. We've got to find people who believe like us. So powerful what you said about, like, I found this thing and it's had this amazing impact for me and I want more people to experience it. Um, and that could be the church and, and religion or spirituality and it could be organizing and so many other things. I never heard it said in that way. So the field of organizing's like changed so much from that time that, you know, you, you know, you first met Laura Dungan and Shell Trapp and even I'd say more intensely over the last 10 years. I mean, everything wasn't perfect about the organizing you and I came up with. Like, what do you see as some of the exciting and hopeful and and needed ways that the field of organizing has changed over the last 10 or 15 years? And then what if along the way anything good got lost? I had an incredible meeting this morning with our movement politics team. Um, A lot of younger organizers, maybe in their 20s, and I, I was moved to tears and inspired and, and just listening to their testimonies, their lived experiences and and how they're thinking. And I was like, I was mm. like blown away by where we've come, because if you remember, George, when we were thinking about movement politics in you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, I, I was in in Kansas. By then I was an executive director of Sunflower. And I gave myself as a guinea pig, as an organization, okay, mm-hmm. I want to do this. I want to build a C4. I want to build a pack. And like, how do we do it? And we were taking baby steps, right? And to see the number of young people who have come into this organization and that are rooted in like, we want to transform people and we want to change the way in which politics gets done. And they bring in like, oh my God, tools and the way that they're able to <laughs> connect. And they blew me away. It's amazing. But they're also bringing newness and a way to do things that we didn't think about before. Right. And, um, and sometimes for those of us who've been doing this for 25 years or more, it's like, oh, we don't want to change that, but we've got to create space for for newness and creativity uh, because we're going to need both. And and that to me is an example of like, wow, we've come a long way. And those people found a home here that allowed them to try different things, to bring in new things and to still keep some of the things that, yes, have changed their own lives and continue to change people's lives. And I know the team well that you're talking about. And I think the way you described it is so perfect. Like all these new innovations and approaches and deeply committed to developing people and transforming the human spirit. So very different than other political operations. And, you know, George, I also think that we used to talk a lot about anger and agitation, right? And I think sometimes we as organizers have to be able to read the room, not only Mm -hmm. read the room, but also read the headlines and read what's happening to humanity and the world, right? So I think we're also at a moment where we have got to be, I mean, I I tell this to people uh, a lot, the world, especially after a pandemic, after four years of a fascist president and everything that has happened, like everything that we're seeing, it's so painful. So I think that, you know, as humanity, people are irritated and and it's like, 
there's got to be a way in which we are taking it all in and saying, okay, what is the approach that we're taking? Because not everybody is going to grow or respond to the agitation. Like I think Mm -hmm. we need to just be able to read people and meet them where they're at, especially in this moment where people are needing to be heard and be understood. And I think it's important for organizers to also be able to read the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a history of organizing that is so local and not paying attention to shifting context that really misses out on huge moments to reorganize what's possible. At least that's what I think I hear you saying. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, and I think that the right, while we were not paying attention to some of the local opportunities and wins that really impact people, I mean, like we all know that in 2010, right, the right went to like, sometimes in our backyard, like they did in Kansas with the COBAC campaign, they were actually brewing this sort of like evil master plans, right, to begin attacks on democracy and voter rights. And all of that was happening. And we, you know, we had an opportunity to bring people together. And a lot of us missed that opportunity, right? And then Mm -hmm. now 10 years, 12 years later, we see the signs and they were, they were smart. Like, here's where we're going to be to cut away some of the things that have been built around building a stronger multiracial democracy, they they had a long-term plan. And so what has been exciting to me about our long-term agenda, and you know, even when I was on staff at People's Action and after I became a director, is the fact that, you know, this is not a, a football game or a basketball game, right? That mm-hmm. we're like, you score that and I score this and one of us is going to win it. It's long-term. It's about finding the opportunities in places that sometimes we don't think are there. You've been a part of and organized some really, you know, I'd say really risky actions that were going up against really hateful people that were not afraid to um, throw their weight around when it came to retribution. Maybe you could tell a story of one of the more risky actions you took, who the target was, the reason you did it, and, and what happened. Yeah, I mean, I think that brings to mind two things. One is that the moment that we're in, you know, especially I would say as people of color, there's a trauma of, you know, watching and because we get to to see it. Right. So there's a there's a trauma that happens. And I think that in organizing and in acting together to protect each other and to defend each other, I think there can be a healing for some of that trauma that happens. Mm -hmm. But I think it was 2004 when we did an action on Carl Rove, we went to his house and this was on the Dream Act. I think that action, a federal action, you know, with 800 people on buses in his house, if you remember, George, oh, yeah. there was a moment when, you know, of course he was pissed when we went to his house with 800 people, but I think he was having a barbecue. I think it was a Sunday. There was a moment where he he said that he would talk to us, but he would only talk to our leaders, our co-chairs. And so a few of us stayed with with them. Right. And his garage door opened and, and our leaders went in when the door closed behind them. I had this gut feeling in the pit of my stomach, like, oh, my God, you feel so responsible for, you know, the. Mm-hmm. Um, bringing your leaders and and working with them. And I know that Emira Palacios, who was the leader, my leader, who went into the garage to talk to him, there was just a feeling like, you know, what is going to happen? And that was scary. And 
that action had so much for us, like relationships with congressional members that, you know, that got hard after that. But it was so important at that moment to remind them and the administration in that moment that we needed relief and the work we were building up to. And and that was, I think, one of the moments that I remember the most. And there was a lot that happened after that. But that moment was important. And some of those actions that we did, I mean, the people that were part of that action still remember and, and they were impacted and moved, energized and built courage out of that. But I would say out of all the ones that we did, that one to me was just like in the moment, like, oh, shoot. And then, you know, it was 20 minutes or I don't know, 10 minutes. It felt like a long time. Um, the doors open and we were able to debrief and, and talk about what happened. But that was a scary one. That was that was big. Yeah. I remember by the time we got back to where we were staying, you know, there was already talking heads on Fox News coming after us. And there was a Karl Rove op-ed in The Wall Street Journal the next day. So, you know, the actions and the reaction, I guess we were taught. I related, I remember the, you know, the action we were both a part of and you were the lead organizer on. We went to the Federation for American Immigration Reform, one of the kind of leading anti-immigrant groups in the country and definitely driving hard against the DREAM Act, which at that point seemed like something we might actually be able to pass. And when we did that action, and we got up, we went up, I forget, it was six or seven flights of stairs. Some people came up the elevators again, maybe 800,000 people, um, and took over the boardroom. And this key moment happens where an undocumented woman from Kansas is telling her story, and the head of FAIR doesn't respond. And then Inez Killingsworth, a black woman and a key leader, a co-chair of National People's Action at the time, said, hey, what about her story? And then he asked the young woman, where she's from, and she said, you know, originally, and she said Mexico, and he said, go back there. And as you well know, the room erupted, and it got so hot, I think we looked at each other like, we may, may need to get out of here, or somebody's going to get hurt. But yeah. what I remember going back to what you said about, you know, the trauma that people of color feel, and then the kind of potentially healing uh, capacity of direct action, is I remember going outstairs and the like immigrant members of what was then National People's Action almost floating on air, like just like almost levitating. And if that was the only thing that came out of that action, it was more than worth the risk. And I'm so glad we did it. Absolutely. And heading back, you know, we used to take buses or planes and the, bring a bunch of people. But there were so many people just coming to me and say, thank you. Thank you for for doing that for putting us in that place to do that you know there's a famous photo that we use george and everyone i see those faces and i still have that moment mm. people remember that they remember the power that they felt because they went from the hopelessness to feeling powerful and acting together and that feeling it changed their lives yeah i, I exactly and that's like we'll never know how many people through from those actions are not the same because of it i've been thinking about this a lot I feel like you were the first person to really teach me in an organizing context about the immigrant experience in America. What do you think people need to understand about how organizing is not cookie cutter? I would say that, you know, I think about my journey and, you know, you and I and Shell Trapp and I, or even Laura Dungan, and I am an immigrant. And like, I was one of the first women of color to be in that basement in that, you know, the cynical in, in Chicago, <laughs> right? So I was in a new place. It was different. But there was something that connected me to someone like 
shell trap who we couldn't have come from two different places, but there was a connection there. And I think that it's about the power of humanity. It's about tapping into the potential of a human being and being able to transcend just language and culture and like really connecting to people. That requires a level of humility, a level of commitment, curiosity for another human being, and just kindness and all of those ingredients together. I think that we need them today, but mm. it's like we need them in order to just cut across the differences and really see each other as human beings, especially in this moment. And I shared earlier the powerful conversation that I had today with the movement politics team. And there were testimonies that were and stories that were shared that really just touch my heart in a way like I want to be in, in a fight. I want to be in the streets with these people because this is what it's about. So I think that the, the thing that we got to hold on to is it's about transforming people and organizing. Mm -hmm. It's about finding that way that we transform each other, that it transforms you and that is moving people to that next level. And that cuts through like whatever else is happening. It is about that transformational thing that we're building. Just looking up to the next five or 10 years, where do you want to take the field of organizing or help help move it or push it, inspire it? Yeah, you know, I think I look at the, especially at the last 10 years and the power that we've been able to build together, not just as people's action, but as a progressive movement, right? Since the, I would even go back to 2008 when we all worked so hard to elect the first Black men as president. And that took a lot of organizing, a lot of building, a lot of power. And then we get, you know, to that moment. And then I think it, it sort of begins to set, oh, what can we build it, what can we change in the political environment and how do we govern? How do we co-govern? And so I think there was a period of time where we, we became better around how to run campaigns. We became so much better about data gathering, about doing so many things. And at the same time, I think we lost a little bit of like, OK, we got it. While we were getting good at that, we got to continue this this what I called evergreen, right? We constantly need to be building. And I want to build, because I hear it from our field, not just within the network, but all across the progressive movement, mm -hmm. that we're losing the craft, that we need to be training organizers on the craft, that we've won a lot and that we're building a lot of things, but that we're, we're not growing our organizations. Mm -hmm. And so there's a hunger for that. And you know, one of the reasons why I came back to people's action is because I felt it was time to be building, rebuilding some of that. And like I've heard you talk about the organizing revival and it reminded me about my church days. And I said, <laughs> yes, that's it. I want to be there. I want to be part of that. So I think over the next 18 months to five years, we want to continue to build on the incredible work and the campaigning, uh, reminding people. We want to build the United Front and the beautiful coalition that I was able to be part of in Kansas and continue to like move things that build and change the everyday lives of people, but do it in a way that continues to build the organizers that we're going to need, that we continue to plant those seeds that we're going to need over the next 10 years and build and transform everyday people that are joining our organization so that when we call a meeting to make decisions, a hundred <laughs> people are turning out and a hundred right. people are being mobilized to the streets, but that a hundred people are also committed and understand and transformed by our vision. Hmm. I love this. Sign me up. 
just to close, I think what I love about the way you're thinking and presenting things, Soma, is like, yeah, the field of organizing has gone through a big shift in the last 10 or 15 years. And there can be a tendency to only look at it through a lens of deficits. And you keep naming all the advances, whether it's adding movement politics, whether it's actually experiencing some semblance of scale, the, you know, a much better race analysis, a shift in who's leading, all this data and tools we're having. So uh, an organizing revival isn't like, listen, come to a meeting about how bad organizing is right now, mm-hmm. right? It's also celebrating all the ways that we're, we're succeeding. And yeah, there's some stuff we got to clean up a little bit, but I think it's a, it's a unique presentation on the moment we're in. And I think it's why you're the exact right person to lead people's action and, and spark the revival we need. So Thank it's going to be you'll, fun. You'll get, a, you'll get an invitation to the front row. <laughs> okay, good. I, uh, I can't wait. I'll be looking for the tent. <laughs> All right. Thank you, George. Twenty-five years ago, a few organizers from Indiana went to a National People's Action Organizers Conference. I was one of them. It was there I met National People's Action co-founder Shell Trapp. For those that don't know, in his time, Trapp was one of the most infamous organizers in the country. Soon he recruited me to Chicago. There I was trained by some of the best, Gail Sincata, Joe Mariano, and Trapp himself. These were people whose organizing was of the street. Not known for nuance or polish, let alone saluting elites. They had reverence for little. The rules were meant to be broken, and break them they did. One of the great turns in my life is to found this joyous tribe who both cherished the craft and were equally willing to break with orthodoxy when that's what the moment required. One of the organizers Trapp was most invested in during the last 10 years of his life was Laura Dungan. As we just heard, it was Laura who first trained Solma, who now directs the organization Trapp co-founded. We do many things in organizing. The most essential is investing in people and their potential. Sometimes those seeds take root, sometimes they don't. And apparently, sometimes they blossom in ways you could never imagine, long after you are gone. Somewhere, I'm sure, Shell Trap is smiling. I know I am. Here's what this conversation sparked for me. Investing in and developing others separates organizing from other forms of creating change. I heard Solma say, this is a non-negotiable. When unsure, go back to base form. Why am I doing this? What are we really doing here? Regroup and reground in the fundamentals, then begin again. Solma builds on a theme that keeps coming up in conversations on this show, the parallels between building faith institutions and people power organizations. First, organizing is a missing piece or another part of one's call to service or ministry. I both want to help you change and develop and together build the power to change the conditions that are making life so hard. Finally, the sense of I found something that is powerful for me and I want to share it with you. Organizing is gospel-like for those who find it and we feel called to spread the word. You can find Soma on Twitter at Adias Soma. I'm writing about the fundamentals of organizing at georgegale.substack.com. I hope you'll check it out. This podcast was produced by Fundamentals of Organizing and the Mashup Americans. It is executive produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lair. Our senior producer is Sarah Pellegrini. Our development producer is Stacey Wood. Production manager, Shelby Sandlin. See you next time.